The Thing and Doc Savage. Welcome to FW Team Up, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm Siskoid. And I'm Rod Kelly. Taking you through a classic superhero team up, or even pulp hero team up, Marvel 2-in-1, number 21, cover dated November 1976. And Rob, this is an odd one in that it features a character not owned by Marvel, but it's one that's dear to your heart. Yeah, this is uh, The Thing and Doc Savage. Even as a kid, I was always, uh, I loved it when characters that I knew were not owned by the company in, in necessarily that originated them crossed over with characters that did, whether it's Batman the Shadow or any of those kinds of things. I always found it just bizarrely interesting. And so this is one of the more bizarre issues of Marvel 2 and 1. Yeah, although Marvel was publishing, obviously Marvel had the rights at that particular moment, uh, which it doesn't anymore, which means this is one of those cases where uh, if you own the essential uh, Marvel 2 and 1 or any reprint book, you will not find this story in there. It'll be missing. That's a ripoff. I mean, I know why they, I know that why it has to be like that, but still, you know, <laughs> come on. It's just one issue. Come on, Dynamite. You can't let Marvel have Doc Savage for one book. Jeez. Or Rom Space Knight. The, you know, issue 99 of that series is also missing from those archives. So every time that happens... Yep, we're missing it, but we'll cover it for you. So if you don't have the issue, can't find the issue, can't find a reprint of the issue, because there aren't any, FW Team Up is there for you. So in each episode of Fire and Water Team Up, one panelist will pick one character to defend. In this case, Rob, need I ask who's your pick? That would be the Man of Bronze, Doc Savage. And so I will take the thing. It's customary that we preface with a reason or reasons why we like the character we've chosen. So, Rob, why the Man of Bronze? Uh, I've always liked him ever since I first discovered him, which was many, many years ago. He's, he's a combination of Superman and Batman in a lot of ways. I mean, he predates both those characters uh, in that he is still an Earthling. You know, he's not from another planet. He's just a guy who has sort of trained himself to physical perfection. But yet, he's more than that. He's more than a Batman. Uh, he has his own fortress of solitude, literally, a, a base up in the Arctic. So he's he's kind of, you could see how both Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and Bob Kane and Bill Finger took probably elements from this character and split him into two. And uh, I also like the fact that he is, man, he's one of those characters that sort of flitted outside of comic books. He had a movie, he had a radio show, he had his own comic book magazine. He had He has had some comic books, but he's always... You know, he's like the Phantom or the Shadow. He's just sort of like, you know, he did, he's not of the comic book universe, but he's, he's sort of tangential to it. I remember reading uh, old Doc well, – oh, they're all old in a way, but <laughs> Doc Savage novels uh, in French that were in our public library when I was a kid. And uh, since then, I, I've bought many of those – you know, the books have two of the stories in them. It's like a split book. And I have a number that some of them I've read, some of them I'm, you know, waiting for my retirement or something. But uh, – <laughs> Uh, but I do like the character as well. I mean, it's um, it, it's like this kind of super prepared person. He's, he's like he's a genius. He's physical. He's mental. He's uh, he's got friends. He's he's there's nothing he can't do. Is the thing. Since I've got to say something nice about the thing, and he will show up regularly on this show every time we do two in one. Obviously, I will pick one thing that I like about Ben Grimm, and um, that is he's the most Marvel character of Marvel's first family. Uh, because, you know, the Marvel trademark is the the sort of hard luck hero. Uh, he's got powers, but he's got a tough life. It's Spider-Man. It's Daredevil. It's, uh, you know, even Iron Man, who had 
uh, a lot of money, arguably had this uh, this shard going to his heart. And so everybody had a handicap of some sort. Everybody had hardships in their normal lives. Look at the Fantastic Four, though. You know, Reed Richards is a super scientist. Uh, he's got that in common with a Doc Savage. But, you know, he doesn't really have those problems. The Invisible Girl doesn't really have those problems. The Human Torch is, you know, the hotshot, cute boy with cool powers. Doesn't really have those problems. But the thing is trapped in a monstrous body. You know, he's the one that represents that Marvel ideal of the hard luck hero who really sees his powers as a curse uh, rather than a, a uh, an advantage and longs to be human again and, you know, has romantic problems. And he's really the Marvel character in the group. He brings that piece of the the Marvel formula to uh, the team. So uh, it's interesting that then they spin him off into his own book, Marvel 2-in-1, because he, he is the most human, uh, despite his appearance. He must have always been, somehow Marvel must have figured out that he was like, the of the four, he was the big seller, because, I mean, he had his own team-up book, and then he had his own solo book. Uh, Human Torch right. Human Torch briefly had his own magazine in the 70s, but I think that lasted like six issues, and Reed and Sue never got their own. So the thing of the four of them was always the sort of biggest star, and every time he was out of the Fantastic Four, I think it was generally like a plot line. You know, like, like they replaced him briefly mm-hmm. with Power Man, and I think Thunder at one point. But I, from what I remember, it was always, you know, like an ongoing storyline of, well, what's happened to Ben? We're going to bring back Ben. Because it's to me, it's not the Fantastic Four without the thing. No, it's true. And uh, uh, yeah, the Human Torch did also feature in Team Ups. Uh, he sometimes he took over Marvel Team Up, uh, you know, replacing Spider-Man there. But nope, he never really had that that same longevity. Uh, we're talking about, you know, Marvel Two in One is is a series that went to a hundred issues. In fact, let's get to that publication history. This is the first time we tackle. Marvel 2-in-1 on the show. Let's give the folks at home a few details on the series. Uh, like we said, Marvel 2-in-1 continued really the team-up stories starring the thing that were in the final two issues of Marvel Feature. And then it lasted a 100 issues, like I said, plus seven annuals from January 1974 through June 1983. Artist Ron Wilson was its primary artist from issue 12 through to the end, but the series had several key writers, including the great Bill Mantlo, Marv Wolfman, and Steve Gerber. When 2-in-1 was canceled, it was to give the thing his own eponymous solo series, which lasted uh, another 36 issues, a third of which took place uh, on the Beyonders battle world. Uh, Yeah, remember that? Marvel 2-in-1 as a brand then remained dormant for nearly 35 years, but it's been recently announced that Marvel will be reviving the title as part of its legacy initiative, and it'll feature The Thing and The Human Torch, at least in the first issue. It's not clear to me if this will be a team-up title or simply one that stars that particular duo. Let's remind folks that the Fantastic Four don't even have a title right now, so that's as close as it gets, I guess. What do you, have you read a lot of Marvel 2-in-1, or uh, was was it scattershot for you? It was scattershot. It was definitely one of the books that, depending on who was in it, you know, I was like, oh, I'll get this one this month. And uh, as I've mentioned ad nauseum over the various podcasts, it was a regular purchase up in the mountains. It was definitely mm-hmm. a regular mountain con because it was not a book I bought regularly, but it was it was always a fun read because you would they were like almost always one and done's you know they they generally yeah. were self contained and I always liked the thing and man how tired Ron Wilson must have gotten at drawing the thing after so many issues that, that's a hard <laughs> character to draw jeez. <laughs> 
I, I think you'd leave a lot of it to the inker, oh, you know, man. to do those, those nice Joe Sinot shadings. Well, you know, the thing is well known as, you know, as part of Marvel's first family, the Fantastic Four. We won't go into his publication history exactly, but let's talk about Doc Savage's publication history. You want to take this one, Rob? Yes, Doc Savage first appeared in the Pulps in 1933 in his own magazine. It ran until 1949. Uh, he had he never really was much of a star outside of those. He had two brief radio serials. He had a comic book series that lasted only 20 issues. He made some guest appearances in some other comics. He was in Shadow Comics. He had a couple appearances there. He basically was dormant until the mid-60s when his uh, stories were collected in paperback editions featuring the covers by James Bama. Mm-hmm. And it's really those are the images that people think of when they think of Doc Savage is those James Bama painted covers. They're, they're just gorgeous. And that, those are the ones that I read in the days before uh, iPhones when, you know, when you were waiting in a doctor's office or waiting at the mechanic or waiting anywhere and you just had time to kill. I had Doc Savage books. So I turned read Doc Savage books. He almost had a movie in the mid 60s, but then uh, the rights got all messed up and it petered out and the uh, gold key actually produced a one-off Doc Savage comic book that was to be an adaptation of the movie. But the movie never got made, so the closest we will ever see is that one-off comic book. Uh, Then eventually Marvel bought the rights to the character in the 70s. They launched him in his own color series in 1972, which lasted only eight issues. Then in a black-and-white magazine in 1975 which also listed eight issues. Now, that was put out in time for the Doc Savage movie. By this time, the rights had gotten cleared up, and uh, George Powell, the famous George Powell, produced the Doc Savage movie, directed by Michael Anderson. It was uh, hoped to be a big hit. Uh, at the end of that movie, they even promised a second movie, but it was not. It was a giant flop. The movie was released, I think, one week before Jaws. And so, uh. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much the end of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah. The character pretty much lay dormant and until DC brought him back in the 1980s and then again in the 2000s for some various scattershot series here and there. And now Dynamite owns the rights and currently publishes a Doc Savage series. And of course, there is news that there will be another Doc Savage movie uh, written and directed by Shane Black, who did The Nice Guys and starring the rock because the rock is in every movie nowadays. So why not? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, whether I buy the rock as a world famous brain surgeon, uh, that I don't know, but certainly the physicality, I mean, yeah. you can just see doc Savage painted bronze and you know, that's pretty much a movie. Let's get into this issue. Let's attempt a synopsis here. The story's called black sun lives by writer, Bill Mantlo, artist, Ron Wilson, inker, Pablo Marcos, letterer, Karen Mantlo, colorist, Jay Cohen as edited by Archie Goodwin. 1976, the Baxter Building, headquarters of the Fantastic Four. Ben Grimm, The Thing, and the Human Torch are exercising. When the private elevator buzzes, they buzz a mystery woman up. It's 1936, and at the Empire State Building's headquarters of Doc Savage and his team, there is also a visitor. It's a woman named Mrs. Raymond Leitner. The FF's visitor is Janice Leitner, Raymond Leitner's daughter. She needs the Fantastic Four's help overwhelmed, she faints. Before Mrs. Raymond Leitner can barely get a word out, she faints as well. Doc Savage removes the veil she is wearing, and he sees that she is heavily bruised. When Janice comes to, she tells her story. The story of her twin brother Tom, now in charge of the Leitner estate. A too proud engineering genius who nonetheless brought that estate to bankruptcy and turned to brooding and drinking. Doc Savage asks who did this to her. Mrs. Leitner says it was her husband, the Nobel Prize winning astronomer Raymond Leitner. 
Doc Savage tenses up at the thought of someone abusing their power. The family's only remaining holdings, a dilapidated mansion. Tom wanted to gamble that away too, but Janice refused to give it to him. Said he was acting just the way their mother had said their father had, just before he died. But Tom was sure Leitner Sr. was onto something, an invention that would have given him money, power, and respect, the very things Tom craves now. A few months earlier, Mrs. Leitner explained that she was pregnant. She thought her husband would be thrilled at this news, but instead he turned sullen and started talking about the power to transcend immortality itself. Johnny Storm wonders why Janice needs DFF. Isn't this a matter for the courts? But she goes on, recounting how Tom showed her his sky cannon, rebuilt from their father's notes. Leitner shows his wife what he's been working on, a huge contraption he calls a sky cannon, claiming it can tap the power of the stars Leitner slaps his wife when she questions his bizarre behavior. Janice further explains that the cannon can draw on stellar power where it can be transferred to a human host, and that she hopes the FF can stop the machine's first test. Out the window, they all witness a citywide power outage and a bright light coming from far up the Hudson River. And off they go in the Fantastic R. Coming out of the flashback, we see Doc and his team watching most of New York City become covered in darkness. Doc, Rennie, and Monk climb into their auto-gyro to check out the cause of the blackout. In 1976, the moment of alignment is almost at hand. The black hole Tom's father discovered will once more appear as a blank in the star field above Earth. Tom fires the cannon, but the fantastic car gets in the way. Leitner sees Doc coming and zaps him with the sky cannon, causing it to fade into nothing. Our heroes tumble down through wreckage. And father and son merge from across time. They become... Black Sun. Sun. The Human Torch flames on and rescues Janice Leitner while Ben Grimm plummets to the ground and hits it hard. Doc Savage realizes he is no longer in his own time, having spied the strange-looking thing and Human Torch. Black Sun fires dark beams at our heroes, but misses. The torch takes to the skies. When Leitner's observatory explodes, Doc Savage makes sure that Janice is safe from debris. He then orders his team to fire mercy bullets at Black Sun, but they have no effect. Hearing Doc Savage's name, Ben is startled. The torch makes his move, but Black Sun wraps him in darkness, smothering his flame and bringing him down. Fool, this is the thing's book. Ben runs for Black Sun and punches the villain on the jaw, i.e. it's clobbering time. The ever-loving thing thinks he's won, but he's spoken too soon. Black Sun gets up and hits him upside the head. Rennie and Monk drag the Human Torch to safety, inquiring how he does his fire trick. Freed, the Human Torch lights up the sky with flame, exposing Black Sun's attempt to escape under cover of darkness. As Black Sun rises into the air, Doc Savage grabs onto his legs, trying to drag him down. And Ben grabs onto Savage's legs, desperately trying to keep Black Sun from flying away. But the hero's grips slip, and the combined lightners heed the call of millions of stars, collapsing into the null of space. His heart can't take it. He can't breathe. And Icarus-like, he falls, barely alive. The crisis now averted, Doc realizes the temporal distortion that brought him and the team there is now bringing them back home. As Doc, Rennie, and Monk fade into the air, he wishes Ben and Johnny farewell. Ben is disappointed he didn't have time to get an autograph. And just imagine him, Doc Savage's biggest fan. Janice Leitner begs DFF to get her brother to a doctor, and they just happen to know a good one by the name of Don Blake. Kind of to be continued. Well, I guess it's to be continued. 
But uh, that's the end for the team up between Doc Savage and The Thing. What did you think of this issue rereading it, I imagine? Uh, it's it's enormous fun. It really is. Uh, there's there's so little space. I mean, this is back when comics were only 18 pages. Literally half the book was advertisements. Mm-hmm. So there just is not a lot of space. So for one thing, Bill Mantlo only uses two members of the team. It's only Rennie, Remy and Monk as opposed to the rest, which is good. I, I don't think you need the, the whole group because then it would just be the lovable mob running around. I mean, there's, there's so little space here. Doc Savage doesn't kind of like I think if you didn't know who Doc Savage was, you wouldn't necessarily be taken very much by him in this story. He for some reason, Ron Wilson, every time he draws him, he's frowning. He's, he's got this kind of scrunched face. So I don't quite, to me, I don't get quite get the charm of Doc Savage in this story, but it's a fun team up. I mean, I like the idea that um, it's bifurcated until the middle part and then they bring them together. Uh, that's a that's a fun idea. It, and it is very similar setup to the Doc Savage novels where somebody was always showing up at the Empire State Building and bringing a problem into Doc's lap. From, from what I remember of those stories, very few of them had Doc going on his own. It was always, you know, knock, knock, who's there? Oh, here's this problem. Let's go investigate. So that's Bill Mantlo is following that tradition with this story. It was kind of like a 221B Baker Street moment where somebody, you know, it's like Doc Savage has clients. Right, exactly. Or as Chris Franklin would call it, the 2218. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) poor soul. What can you tell me about habeas corpus? Uh, I have questions. (laughs) Because we uh, we barely see it, but one of the you know the team has a mascot. Yes, uh, it's the pig, like a, a, a yeah. prize pig, a prize pig. Yeah, I, did I, he feature a lot? Yeah, he's in the stories a lot, and he's in the movie too. Uh, oh, is he? Yeah, they have the pig in the movie, and he's always running around. I, I do, you know, I I always just find a just strange, weird little detail. I never know why he's in the stories, but yeah, I mean, they found a way to fit him in that one panel at least. I mean. One of the other characters, one of the other members of Doc's team is always offended uh, that the pig is always running around. And they always had this kind of like Abin Costello kind of routine where the one guy was sort of a feet and snob. I'm blanking on his name at the moment, but he's sort of this effete kind of guy. And, and then the other guy with the pig was like kind of like a brawler monk who's just kind of so he's kind of a Ben Grimm type. I kind of wish that Monk and Ben Grimm had had more mm. scenes together because they're very similar types. Yeah, yeah, they're part of that same tradition dan turpin and all of those kinds of characters there was a fun bit for me the uh the thing says uh, something about he calls black sun villain of the month mm-hmm. uh which is very much what team-ups used to do a lot you'd have like that one-off villain uh that would face off against the, the team-up so that's a, like a meta moment again the thing being that audience identification figure he's us in the story, he's the normal guy, even though he's got these powers and this look. That was a cute bit. I have another question about Doc Savage lore, and that's whether or not there might be a connection between Black Sun, this one-off villain that's created here, and John Sunlight, who basically is the only recurring villain in the Doc Savage novels, uh, according to my research here. Do you have any, I mean, Sunlight, Black Sun, I mean, it, I understand there's no real comparison between the two characters, but do you, do you think there's there may be a, a relationship, you know, a thematic relationship? Bill Malos, I, I would guess he read some of the Doc Savage material. I mean, this was right when, what, what, is, what year was this comic published? 1976. 76, okay, so it's right. after after the movie, it's after Marvel has had the license for a couple of years. I have to assume that Mantlo was familiar with at least with some of the basic trappings of Doc Savage. I would imagine when you buy the rights, you probably got like some sort of like uh, 
maybe like a binder of material that gives you some basic concepts. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe, you know, it was just like, Oh, you own Doc Savage now. But I, I mm. get the sense that Mantlo probably had some familiarity or maybe if he didn't, he probably consulted Doug Mensch who seemed to know all this stuff. So it wouldn't shock me if Black Sun is just, you know, Mantlo's kind of spin of the dial, just a little bit of a reference to John Sunlight. Yeah. He's also a kind of a reverse or a dark firestorm. Interesting. Two people, two people that become one. Uh, and, uh, I mean, there's a lot of Black Sun in this. I, we have, I have to say, I mean, if I were to, um, be the editor of this team up, I think I'd give more space to the heroes and a bit less, you, you know, the, the villain here has two origin stories, which are the same. And, you know, and combines, there's a lot of the villain. And at the end, it's not our heroes that defeat him. He defeats himself. He essentially has a heart attack. Right. Right. That was the crazy science of a black hole opening up over New York. Uh, all of that stuff is just whack out, which is why I often call Bill Mantlo Marvel's answer to Bob Haney. You know, it's not quite that crazy, but uh, I feel like Mantlo, you know, works in the same sort of anything goes spirit. Yeah, I agree with that. And again, I think if you've got eight, you've only have 18 pages to start your story and then bring it to a conclusion and bring in a co-star and probably bring in a villain that you can defeat very quickly. You just don't have a lot of space. You know, I mean, it's like I, I don't remember, but I don't think like Dr. Doom or the Red Skull showed up a lot in Marvel 2 and 1 because you just wouldn't it wasn't plausible that they would be defeated in 17 pages. So you had to kind of bring in some morts, you know, and of course, nowadays, we know that any of these people could become movie stars at some point, which is, you know, uh, there is no character anymore that's too obscure to not be put into a Marvel movie. So I have to expect Black Sun to show up in uh, one of the Avengers movies at some point. Well, he doesn't have a bad look. No, it's, it's, you know, he's just that solid black and, you know, it, and, uh, you know, the mad science guy thing. He's got the sky cannon. I mean, there's some fun stuff going on. Oh yeah, there's just, I mean, there's a lot of overcompensation. You know, the guy, the guy beats on his wife and has a giant cannon in his, um, shed. You, you got problems, buddy. And so he pones himself is really what happens. <laughs> I like the fact that Black Sun does not appear on the cover, that they just did just a great poster cover. We didn't mention that yet. I love the cover. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, let's talk Doc, about that cover. Thing and Doc Savage just smashing through a wall, writing right at the camera. It is a great cover. I mean, it's really, very striking. And so, I mean, they mentioned Black Sun, but I think they just decided, let's just do something. You know, how many times do we get to see Thing and Doc Savage together? So it just looks, it's, this is action in the Mighty Marvel manner, really, just the two of them flying out. They look, ter- I think they look terrific together. Yeah, the Thing looks uh, particularly well drawn and inked. You know, they've got both uh, the same color scheme. Mm-hmm. In this, so they look great. I even thought for a second that this was like a Jack Kirby cover or something, the way it's done. I can see that. I can see if you look yeah. at the thing, definitely. Of course, inside. What do you think of Ron Wilson in, in general? Um, Pretty good. You know, I think it depends a lot on who Zinker was. I'm not a huge fan of Pablo Marcus in general, and I'm not a huge fan of him here. Uh, but I think, I think Ron Wilson was one of those like sturdy, dependable, and I know that always sounds like it's a backhanded compliment, but, uh, you needed those guys. You know, you needed those kind of workhorse guys. And as a kid, I would never be excited that Ron Wilson drew it, as opposed to like a John Byrne or a Walt Simonson or somebody who was a real all-star. But at the same time, Ron Wilson was going to give you a level of quality that was very, very good, very consistent. The book was always going to look you know, solid. And I like the, again, I like the way he breaks it up in the, the rounded 
panel corners for Doc Savage and everything else. And so, yeah, I think he does a he does a good job. This must have been a, probably again a tough book to draw. The thing I've tried to draw the thing a couple of times, and I just bagged on it every time. It's just like forget <laughs> it. This is just, just too much work. And he does a really good thing. Um, you know, page uh, well originally page twenty seven, but now like the sixteenth page of the story. The close ups on Ben are really crisp and cool. You know, usually for normal humans, he's got a bit of a scrunchy face thing going. I I, I sort of call him the poor man's Sal Buscema. So, you know, that kind of, but you're right. It's, he's one of these dependable. I mean, he drew a lot of issues of this thing. And, and here you can see there's only 18 pages, but a lot of panels and two stories side by side. And, uh, so there's a lot of little, little squiggles, little people in, inside panels because you don't have a choice. That's, uh, that's all the space you, you get. So he puts a lot of story in that small space. Yeah. And his layout's really nice. Like on page 14, which is Doc teaming up with that thing and they get blasted and they scramble. And then the second panel is Johnny Storm flying. But then you've got this big, big panel of the th- that's where Thing realizes who Doc Savage is. And they're all pointing the, the guns off the camera. Like, that's a nice shot. We have this really big close-up of Doc Savage right in the foreground and Thing in the background. Like, that's a nice, that's a nice layout. There's a lot going, again, 18 pages. There's a ton going on. And not every artist was necessarily that great at how to lay all this stuff out. And you look at the last page. That has got... Six, nine, like 10 panels. That's mm-hmm. no, that's so tough to do. It really, you know, I think we're, we're, we've gotten away from it now because nobody does that anymore. Now all comic pages are like one or two panels, but trying to fit in 10 panels and wrap the story up in one page, that is really, really hard. Yeah, it's sort of a George Perez kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, there are experts at it. You get some like minute by minute or moment by moment as, you know, black sun rises into the sky. And, uh, you know, there's some interesting layouts uh, for sure in here. Let's get into that small debate that we have uh, every episode. We call it Who Fared Better? So first, how well does this fit each of these characters' stories or atmospheres? Is this a Thing story or is this a Doc Savage story? I would argue it's probably more of a Thing story. I think the novelty of this is that it's a character you never see crossover with the Marvel Universe crossing. Doc has very little to say. Like I said, he seems very kind of ornery and kind of just pissy for, for no real particularly great reason. So I, I think overall this is probably a little bit more. And then Black Sun is just such a Marvel villain. I don't think he particularly pairs up well with Doc Savage. When Doug Mench wrote uh, the Doc Savage magazine, he didn't go in for villains like this. Doc Savage took on, you know, pirates and plunderers and very Doc Savage level kind of villains. So I think I tend to think, the, the, again, what, what I enjoy about this is the novelty of it, is that you're getting to see Doc Savage mingle with the Marvel Universe. But it really is more of a thing story, in my opinion. To take the opposite view, the element of mystery that this starts with is very Doc Savage more pulp than the rest but as soon as you see the sky cannon right uh, you're you're in kirby land yep and then um obviously it's a supervillain story so so it's really it's about the pulp hero moving over to the marvel universe as opposed to the the opposite if, if the thing had gone back into the past maybe we'd have a different story cool moves so you should be defending Doc Savage here. What's Doc Savage's coolest move in this? <laughs> I do I do like on the next to last page that he simply just grabs on to Black Sun as he's rising into the air. Uh, he does punch him once. He gets a good shot in on Black Sun. But I kind of like the, the, the sheer 
ballsiness of simply jumping into the air and trying to drag Black Sun back down to Earth without really having a plan. That's uh, that's just confidence. So I like I actually like that move a lot. And then the thing piles on, uh, we're trying to drag him down. And I can imagine that's what gave Black Sun partly as a heart attack is trying to lift those two guys <laughs> into the air. I mean, I mean, how much you? I mean, you you know. You haven't gotten to this on Ohatmu yet, but what does the thing weigh? Like a couple of tons? You know, I mean, probably pretty it hard m- to lift him into the air. It must be hard on Doc Savage as well. Yeah, right. Hey, the thing is, yeah, I mean, they never really explained ever like how rough the thing is if you t- if he touches you. You know, Alicia Masters is able to put up with it, but I imagine if somebody's rubbing you with their rock hand, it's pretty uncomfortable. So, but yeah, I like that Doc Savage just doesn't. Think about it. He just does it. The, the number one attitude of Doc Savage is his confidence. He knows how awesome he is. And uh, so, you know, I, I like that he doesn't worry about it. He's just going to. And then if Black Sun floated in the air and took him to another dimension. So what? That's, that's the way things go. And that's the same page where he gets blasted by Black Sun's beam and just rips his shirt off. It has to happen at least once an issue, I imagine. For the thing, the for me, the coolest move, um, it's a toss-up. I do like how he falls out of the fantastic car and everybody else gets rescued or parachutes, or, but he just slams, slams <laughs> into the ground. The, the torch doesn't even try to help him uh, because he knows he's tough enough to take it. But I think the coolest moment is when the thing punches Black Sun. You know, there's sort of like that Kirby dots kind of smoking up from his fist or, you know, he thinks he's beaten the villain already. He hasn't. So it turns sour. But that one moment where he says, uh, you know, the whatever, it's double or nothing better known as clobbering time, that that part of it. That's I mean, that's an important moment to any thing story when he actually unleashes those, you know, rocky hooks and, and hits someone. Uh, but in this case, I think uh, it's really the art that sells it. It's a cool moment. It's like a hero shot that Ron Wilson has given him. So, and that's another reason why this is more of a thing story is that, you know, Black Sun, uh, Doc Savage and Black Sun just can't punch each other because Doc Savage is not that strong. You need somebody at the thing level to do this. Then there's uh, the opposite, really dumb or weird moves. So for me, I know that the the dumb move is the one you called a cool move for Doc Savage, which is crap. <laughs> Once there's a pile of, of bodies hanging off uh, Black Sun, now it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they don't succeed, but it basically loosens Doc Savage's grip. So ultimately, it's not a strong moment for the thing. It's like an impulsive move that really should work out and doesn't. Does Doc Savage have any of those odd moves? Uh, no, I don't think everything he does is pretty reasonable. I'd say for a guy who's just so confident about that he can just do anything. I like that he helps lift the thing up, which is, again, the thing weighs probably a couple of tons. I'm not sure how that's going to work out exactly, but... Uh, and I am dubious of the concept of mercy bullets, but, uh, you know, that was, again, that was a thing back then. No, I don't, I think he's, you know, he's a pretty standard, confident super, I keep saying that word, but I mean, I get, I don't think he does anything particularly bad in this, like a, you know, dumb move. I mean, like I said, I, I understand what you're saying about jumping off of the, one of the villain's waist, but to me, that's just a boss move. For him, yes. For the thing, less. And finally, the the friendly farewell, or in Marvel comics, very often the unfriendly farewell that uh, ends every team up story. Uh, how do we rate this one? Uh, who wins the social game? Who's friendliest or least friendly in this? What do you think of the very ending where they say goodbye? 
I, I, it's very stoic, you know? I mean, he just, hey, Doc Savage just hands this thing. He's just like, this eruptions at an end. The triple field that, that Drew was here is fading as well. Farewell, brothers. Like, it's just, you know, he's not sentimental at all. I don't think we establish in this story that is Doc Savage... I guess Doc Savage exists in this world because that's how thing is a fan. Doc Savage is not a character in a magazine. Like, is, is there a Doc Savage magazine that the thing read? Is Doc Savage from the 30s in the Marvel Universe? I, they don't really get into all that. So I, I wish we had known more about that. But again, we don't have a lot of space here. Now, obviously, the Lightners exist. So there's a common link there. So it, it's presumably the 1930s in the Marvel Universe where Doc Savage lives. Uh, at least until it's all retconned away, but but you might still have a magazine because uh, the you know the Fantastic Four have a comic book, right? In I mean, the Marvel Universe. So Ben could talk to Captain America and ask him what it was like to be around Doc Savage because Doc Savage was operating in the fort. Right. Technically, <laughs> uh, the stories yeah. we they can never tell. Yeah, he's not going to ask Namor. So, but he can ask Captain Mark. He should. Yeah. In this case, uh, the social loser is Ben because obviously Doc Savage doesn't know him from Adam, but he knows Doc. And so, oh, geez, I wish I could have gotten autographed. You know, this, <laughs> this person is, is a personal hero, uh, but he, you know, he's cold and aloof and doesn't care about me. I'm just, uh, you know, just a regular rock monster to him. So. <laughs> It ends in tears for, for Ben, as it often does in Marvel 2 in 1. And that's pretty much where I coined the, the term unfriendly farewell, because never goes well for him. It's always like, so long, sucker. And so, jeez, <laughs> every time. I like in the last panel, Doc, Remy, and Monk looking down on the thing from he- from the heavens. It's just it's a funny panel. I hope it doesn't mean they're dead and uh, <laughs> just revisiting their old adventure <laughs> in the future. Uh, well, no, Doc Savage can't be dead in the 70s. It's, I mean, he would have been very long-lived. Right, exactly. He's too healthy. Any final thoughts on the issue? Uh, I think Marvel really got their money's worth out of this license. They did the best they could. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, they in 1975 weren't, they didn't have any of their characters in movies. And so I figured they probably thought, well, this is going to be a huge hit and uh, we'll make some money out of it. And, uh, and you know, to their credit, they were ahead of the curve because they had the rights for Doc, Doc Savage in 1972, three full years before the movie. And they did their best. They tried it as a comic book. They teamed him up, as we see here. They gave him a black and white magazine. I mean, they did their best. It just audiences just weren't buying. And uh, I have to wonder not to get too far off subject, but I have to wonder what it is about period heroes that modern audiences just don't cotton to, whether it's the Phantom or the Shadow or the Avenger or a AKA Justice Inc or even in a more modern setting, sort of the Rocketeer. Uh, they've all been turned into movies, and well, not the Avenger, but those other characters have all been turned into movies, and audiences just aren't buying. There's something I don't know whether it's a the period thing or not. If they make a Duck Savage movie with The Rock, I'm guessing they're going to set it in 2017 or 2019, whenever it comes out, because the, the The Rock is just too modern a person to plausibly be sold into 1930s. But I also think that might be the thing that kills it. There was that whole kind of 20s nostalgia going on in the 70s for the silent film stars and all this stuff. And I think that that's what all these characters got carried up in. But uh, audiences just weren't interested. So, you know, Marvel did its best. They got as much money out of the licenses. They probably, you know, reasonably could. Yeah. Pulp heroes are a hard sell for some yeah. reason. Maybe a little come back in fashion. I mean, all of those films are cult classics. Well, I say all, but uh, <laughs> several of those films are uh, cult classics that, uh, that people enjoy today on, uh, you know, DVD or on TV. But I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe it's the, the period genre fans 
and period film fans aren't don't have much of a Venn diagram going. Right. Yeah, exactly. We'll uh, take a break for a couple of promos and we'll be back to wrap things up. Coming soon from Amalgam Comics, from the 86th floor of the Baxter Building, where he works with a team of super aides known as the Fantastic Five, comes a hero for our age, and indeed all ages, Ben Savage, the Man of Bronze Stone. His father's radiation experiments gave him an orangey stone appearance and amazing strength, but Ben also trained his mind to clobber any puzzle on any subject. Don't miss his exciting atomic pulp adventures every month in... Orange is the new justice. So we're going to be working together? Really? Worst film you ever saw. Well, my next one will be better. It's the Film and Water Podcast. The Film and Water podcast covers movies new and old, classic, and uh, not-so-classic. Proud member of the Fire and Water podcast network, available weekly on fireandwaterpodcast.com and on iTunes and Stitcher. We're back. One final feature on the show is the bonus team-up in which each of us proposes a perfect Doc Savage team-up. So you can team him up with anyone you want, Rob. What team-up would you like to see? Uh, this is probably a little obvious, but I'm going to go with Doc Savage and Wonder Woman. I think partly mm. because the Doc Savage stories are so male driven. They are, I mean, they're, the women are just decoration for the most part. And so I would like the idea, and Wonder Woman is, you know, would be not at all uh, intimidated by Doc Savage or even probably particularly impressed. And I would like to see, you know, not that the Doc Savage is necessarily the right character for some deep exploration of, you know, <laughs> men's and women's issues necessarily but i would just like to see him face off against a woman who can throw down just as much as he can i think that would be interesting to see the two of them together i don't think that's obvious at all i mean it makes sense because they were alive around the same time so they could be contemporaries and oh i, I can see it now it'd be like a you know like you, you could use greek myth with it or archaeological things you know to get them together yeah i'm into it uh for me, my the, my the idea I had was that Doc Savage and John Carter of Mars. Uh, so it's the Man of Bronze on the Red Planet helping a, a veteran. I mean, barely contemporary, but a veteran Carter and his equally heroic children, Cathoris and Tara, uh, in an adventure that would be basically a riff on various Doc Savage and Barsoom stories, probably with you know strange cults and some archaeology in there. The story would start with Doc uncovering Carter's tomb, which would transport him to Mars, and it'd go on from there. So you know, I'd like to see a little bit, you know, just a little spice of old time sci-fi in a Doc Savage story. I would like to see that. That would be very interesting. I mean, it's again, it's another one of those characters that didn't quite work in live action when they tried, but uh, and I would, it would be kind of interesting to see uh, Deja Thoris react to Doc Savage. Uh, mm -hmm. she, she probably only has eyes for John, but still, nevertheless, that might be kind of fun. But yeah, that would be a uh, I'm amazed that hasn't been done now that you've said it. It seems 
like, wow, how, how has, has that not happened in the last hundred years? And if it has, just let us know, because <laughs> I guess it just depends on who owns the rights to these various pulp characters. And if, if John Carter is over at one comic book company, for example, Doc Savage is at another, they won't meet, but they are, they might, kind of a slave to that. Well, all that's left is for me to thank you for teaming up with me, Rob. I remind uh, people, please, where they can find you. Well, of course, we have uh, all my shows are over on our network, which is where you're hearing this show, which is at Fire and Water Podcast. .com. I've got Fire and Water and Film and Water and Pod Dylan and Treasury Cast and Digest Cast and <laughs> way too many Superman Movie Minute, way too many other shows, and they're all on the same place, fireandwaterpodcast.com. And all excellent. A reminder as well that we do enjoy reading your comments, and the best place for that is fireandwaterpodcast.com, but you can also visit the Fire and Water Podcast Network on Facebook. Uh, there's a page there. Or tag us on Twitter using the hashtag FWPodcasts. We'll uh, find a comment. So see you next time for another amazing superhero team up because after all, justice is a team effort. When you're all doomed to die a horrible death. We're all doomed to die a horrible death. When you're in that kind of trouble, who do you call on? Stop, savage! Doc Savage, Doc Savage, Doc Savage. Have no fear, Doc Savage is here.